When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. As far as what the government can do to help people, I'm not very optimistic on helping people by means of government. Um, I'm not sure if government is the real solution because we've seen what happens before when government tries to help people in a mass scale. Um, and I'm not sure if, if that's going to be the solution moving forward. You know, so we can talk about social welfare and, and how it affected certain black communities throughout this country. How beneficial was that? Many would say not very, not very beneficial. Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. We have a very special guest today, Adam Coleman. Do you use the the middle initial as well? Is that like part of your professional yeah. name, I guess? So if you're looking him yeah. up, it's Adam B. Coleman, uh, author of Black Victim to Black Victor and founder of Wrong Speak publishing how's it going i'm doing well how about yourself uh great yeah it's been the weather's actually been nice here in austin the past couple of days which is uh different than how it's been for the past couple of months <laughs> uh yeah i'm up in new jersey and um actually today wasn't a bad day it was actually a little bit cool um even though it reached up to 90 it wasn't humid humidity is our big problem up here yeah no kidding yeah. Um, well, we're not here to talk about the fucking weather. So, um, <laughs> tell, uh, for, for those who don't know you out here, uh, tell people who you are and what you do. Uh, yeah. So I'm a author. Um, I write op-eds every so often. Uh, lately I've been writing a lot for the, uh, New York post. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I've been, I want to say for the past few months, I've written an article every week, uh, a couple couple times uh, like two articles in a week um and just trying to combat narratives and and speak openly and honestly about how i feel about a variety of topics um my book you know discusses race but it discusses different from a different perspective and it talks about um you know concepts like family and and um you know things that we can all relate to so uh, um yeah, I mean, I think that's that's myself in a nutshell. Um, as far as what I'm trying to do. What type of narratives are you uh, combating? Would you say most most commonly? I would say, in regards to race, that the issues of race are minimal, and that's a good thing. Um, and that if we're specifically talking about Black Americans, which seems to be the focal point of the race discussion, that Black Americans have far bigger issues than race or racism, uh, or even conflicts with the police. These are extremely 
rare situations that happen, thankfully. Um, but the biggest problem, if you want to be specific to demographic, is family and our outlook on family, um, single parent homes, which I'm a product of. Mm. And, um, you know, basically lack of proper family, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like lack of proper family planning. That's mm. what I was looking for. Um, and also a lack of appreciation for men. Um, that's one thing that is kind of taboo to talk about, but a lot of black women are basically feminists, even if they don't realize that they're feminists um, and not the, you know, women deserve equal access to this and that, uh, the type of misandric, you know, kind of third, feminist. third wave feminist. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I think, I think that's, those are the, the big narratives that I want to talk about within the book and, and generally right. speaking. Well, what do you, what, what would you say is, uh, the most common misconception, I guess. In regards to race? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, we're talking about black America and, and how it's a focal point right now. So from your perspective, what's the, what do you think is the most incorrect thing that a lot of people believe? Um, that the majority of us are poor. Right. Um, you know, actually the majority of us are middle class. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like, and I feel like it's even people who are well-intentioned, even people who agree with me, it's been so baked into our conversation when we talk about black people that we immediately go to basically the, the lower class, the poor black people. And while there, there may be like a, maybe a disproportionate amount for a, a variety of reasons, mm -hmm. they, we always cater to that particular narrative rather than talking about, you know, the regular black people who go to work every day who are middle-class, uh, even with me talking about single parent homes, um, you know, part of my life, we were poor. Uh, I was homeless a couple of times when I was a kid, but the majority of the time we were middle-class. We had an apartment, uh, you know, my mom at times was check to check, but other times she was doing all right. She was a, a nurse, uh, became an RN, you know, she was a middle-class person and so these particular people and you know including myself always get overshadowed because we want to talk about uh the smaller of the population of, of black people um and i i think the narrative should be like yeah there are poor people of all demographics mm. um and we and, and i sometimes i feel like that narrative of talking about the poor black is in many ways used as a manipulation to push something forward, especially in a post George Floyd world, well, right. post George Floyd world, where if you want to do anything socially or politically, just claim that it helps black people or claim that what you want to change hurts black people and show the most destitute situation, go to the project housing of whatever city, uh, you know, even down to talk about Chicago, you know, all these different things. And meanwhile, uh, everybody else gets overshadowed and and then people um whether they're realizing it or not maybe i'm walking down the street and they look at me and kind of pity me or like wow you made it and i'm like i you know i did relatively fine you know even though we were we were poor at times i didn't grow up in a project housing it was never on government mm -hmm. assistance you know i i don't fit that narrative my mom didn't fit that narrative um 
And many of the people that I know didn't fit that narrative. So uh, I think that's one one of the big misconceptions. Sure, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> for the audience's sake, um, the poverty rate in black America is about 23.5%, which is about mm-hmm. 1.8 times uh, what it is for the white community. But it's still... Right. Uh, well, actually, I, I think for the newest census data, it's 19 and a half percent. So it's even it's below one fifth now. But you're right. It is. Yeah. Uh, um, I think Hispanics are right there, too. They're like 17 or 18 percent. So it's like, <clears throat> you know, I don't I, I, I bet if you ask people. I like these questions uh, because they're super like the output is super interesting. Um mm-hmm. Uh, was talking to Chris Williamson not too long ago about this, about the expected number. Actually, you know what? It was it was Douglas Murray who told me this. Uh, like, if you ask, if you ask a regular person who identifies just as a Democrat in America, how many unarmed black people get killed by the police every year? Um, they'll say like a, a two hundred or something like that. Um, if you ask a leftist, like a, a far left person, they'll say like, I think the average answer was something like 13,000. Um, the real answer is like seven, right? So, yeah. you know, we build these uh, monoliths, I guess. It's, it's just part of how, maybe part of how the human brain works, you know, uh, making patterns to... Uh, you know, associate certain things with threats and a certain certain things with benefits and stuff, I guess. It's interesting to me that we typically reduce things as low as possible when we're forming opinions about other groups, right? Like we, we find the com- mm-hmm. we find the bad common denominator and that's the label for that whole group that's other than our group. But yeah. I, I wonder how often um, we reduce things to the lowest possible level when we're looking for similarities. Like, for example... 80% of all races, at least 80% of all races are not in poverty, right? But we're right. spending all of our time talking about, and it, it isn't that we shouldn't address that problem. It's just like, man, we you can't spend all of your time on 20% of the population. You know what I mean? It's just not good for the economy. I mean, everybody, when people, when everyone does better, everyone does better. You know what I mean? So right. it's like, I don't know that, 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 that part of it is super disappointing, but it is basically marketing, right? You're like, you're talking about, uh, the, the imagery, the optics and using it to start this organization or that it's so different than, um, <clears throat> like the prepackaged food industry where it's like words like homemade and hearty. Those it's in a can. How the fuck is it homemade? You know what I mean? <laughs> but you say that and it like makes people think of a certain thing. It's just marketing, right. right? So you have to ask yourself, these people who are using this as a marketing device, what, like if somebody's trying to use empathy as a weapon against you, you should really pay close attention to that because that's how Absolutely. most, that's how like most tyranny comes about actually. Yeah, that's actually that's a very good point. And I try to talk about that a lot, the weaponization of empathy. But actually, you made me think about something. As much uh, when we say, you know, Black people and we focus on poverty, actually, one thing I notice is we talk about white people and economic prosperity, which actually does the inverse. It overshadows the uh, white Americans who are struggling, who are uh, experiencing some sort of 
economic turmoil by labeling them of the economic pros uh, prosperous. And so no one, no one cares, right? So it actually does, does the opposite. Sure. Um, and, and I actually find it interesting, like someone like Ibram, Ibram Kendi, mm. who loves to do these particular things by making emphasis to white people and success or economic prosperity or home ownership. And I think part of the reason he does that is because that's actually his circle. You know, he is of the economic upper class and he's surrounded by white upper class people who live a particular life. Mm. And he's making this association. Um, maybe maybe he's not the best example, but I, I think a lot of um, maybe upper class and wealthy black people do this, especially on if they're leftists. Mm. They they do this particular association because that's their circle. They see white and they see success, and then they look around. They don't see as many people who look like them, so they make inferences of wealth being stolen and, and all these crazy narratives that come from it um and overshadow you know just average white people who are who might be struggling who or who just working class mm -hmm. uh maybe they rent too you know um so I, that's what as someone who's lived in i've lived in five states i've lived and uh you know at one point in time i was one of four black kids in the entire school you know i've been the minority like the real minority mm. in the area. And I've been in racially mixed areas. I've lived all over. And the reality is it's like people are people, right? They're, you know, they're shitty people of all colors. And we all are experiencing some form of an American life. And we have a general American culture. We have some regional differences, but we have similar experiences. Um, so even when I talk about fatherlessness, there are a lot of white men, Hispanic men, uh, black men, who connect with my message of not having a father mm. growing up in their life. And they have similar outcomes and they have similar situations and, and struggles. And, and that's one of those things that I'm like, I'm trying to have people understand, like, even with me talking about if you're saying specifically black Americans, what's the biggest problem? And I say fatherlessness, mm. my next sentence would be, but it's an American problem sure, because America has the highest rate of single parent homes in the world. And I don't think a lot of people understand that and, and how that impacts our society. So as much as I see certain problems happening around us, I'm, I'm very quick to say, well, you know, could it be because their father wasn't in their life? And, and also, um, we're quick to say deadbeat dads, when in reality, there's a lot of situations when the mother pushes the father away or when the mother chooses a guy who never wanted to be a father Right, this bad family planning, you know. Uh, so there's lots of different scenarios that come into play, versus just wagging your finger at the missing father. And I, I, I don't like that narrative um, as well. Sure, I mean it's a symptom of uh, this predilection we have to try to solve problems at the highest possible level, so as far upstream as possible. Uh, the gun thing is is one example where, you know, we have <clears throat> this nihilism in young men from a lack of purpose a lack of uh you know male role models things like that they don't feel like they have any place in society and it manifests itself in different ways so some kids and and it really matters where you are too like <clears throat> in uh 
in the black and Latino communities, it mo most readily uh, manifests itself in gang activity. And the white community, it's either drug addiction or fucking mass shooting, right? I mean, but it's mm -hmm. the same symptom. It's the same thing that leads to, to people becoming terrorists. Um, it's a sense of nihilism. Your, your brain is looking for some kind of purpose. In the, and the problem with brains is that they're really good at being brains, they're a lot better at being <laughs> brains than we are at thinking. So a lot of stuff happens behind the scenes that we're just not privy to. And then, you know, your brain's struggling for reason and for purpose. And you have these masculine urges towards, you know, aggression that need to be uh, not tamed, but, but uh, uh, exercised, you know. And then it, you never get any of that, right? So you're like... You're, you're just a bonfire at that point. You know what I mean? And it's, of course, something bad's going to happen. That's just how that goes. Um, yeah. And I agree with you. One of the things I like to talk about, like I speak mostly to conservatives just because of who our audience is. Uh, I'm not particularly conservative myself, but the audience certainly is. And um, one of the conversations we've had over the past few years is about, uh, particularly since the George Floyd incident, is about... Um, what has led to the situation we're in today, right? So you could start with the uh, the Atlantic slave trade and all that shit. Um, about a trillion dollars was robbed out of the the Black American community, and you know that co compounded over time. That's a big deal. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. Now, who knows if it if it's representative of every other, you know, internal economic ecosystem, the vast majority of that money would have been a few people, you know, and then everybody else would have been just okay, I guess, which is still how it is today. But uh, that's still a big deal. Um, we never really did much. Like there was some effort to correct that problem a couple of times, but it never really did anything. And then, you know, in the middle of the 20th century after World War II, the GI Bill and the and the VA backed home loan are the two elements that a lot of people credit for creating, along with some you know, uh, uh, some labor movement stuff in the late nineteenth uh, century, are credited for creating the middle class of the country. You know what I mean? Yeah. Black people are largely excluded from that because universities under Jim Crow are still allowed to tell black people they couldn't come there. So yeah, that's a problem too. That's two problems. So now we have like people who. The first person in their family who went to college was in 1950. Uh, instead, the first person that went to college may not have even happened yet, right, because of all these social issues and systemic issues. And then, of course, the crime bill where we see a real problem, drug addiction and gang activity and violent crime. So we're like, we're got, we have to do something to get these people off the street. I'll, okay, you got me. That's a good idea to get violent people off the street. But what we know and what we have known for a long-ass time is that the two biggest predictors of nihilism-based crime are fatherlessness and poverty, right? We did nothing. The, the federal government who passed these laws, who gave attorney generals, attorneys general rather, all the weapons they need to fight back against this stuff, we didn't do a goddamn thing to make sure that those young kids left at home had dad figures. It doesn't have to be, you can't recreate dad, but you need a strong real uh, male role model, or you're going to be an asshole when you get, if you're a kid, if you're a male child and you don't have a strong male role model, you're going to be a dick. Like this is how it is. It's like, 
Mm-hmm. You have to, it's like a, a wild dog, basically, you know, just the way it is. It doesn't matter what fucking culture you're in, whether it's, you know, Muslim culture in the Arab world or the, a black community here or a Latino community here or a white community here. You are a young man that needs purpose and, and learn how to control your aggression. And if you don't get that, you're going to be a dick. We, we knew all this and we didn't do anything to stop it. So I do see quite a few systemic problems here, but it's one thing to identify a problem and it's another thing entirely to try to solve it. You know what I mean? And I'm a lot right. more interested in solutions than I am about regurgitating all the fucking bullshit from the past. I just don't think it's like, who is that for? You know what I mean? I, I don't understand the, I don't understand the, the intent. Is it just to make people who have been victimized justified in their victimhood because I don't think that's a good idea. Like if a toddler falls down and hits their fucking uh, knee on the ground and you run over like, Oh, are you okay? They're going to cry because they like that attention. Is that a good idea? I don't think so. I think it's a better idea to help people live their fucking lives. Right. And I think that's kind of what your book is about. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, for the most part, I I'm always making the argument of a change in culture. Um, as far as what the government can do to help people, I'm not very optimistic on helping people by means of government. Um, I'm not sure if government is a real solution because we've seen what happens before when government tries to help people in a mass scale. Um, and I'm not sure if, if that's going to be the solution moving forward, you know, so we can talk about social welfare and, and how it affected certain black communities throughout this country. How beneficial was that? Many would say not very, not very beneficial. This episode of Citizen is brought to you by GhostBed.com forward slash Drink It Bros. Right now, GhostBed is offering 40% off GhostBed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base. Or for everything else, 30% off if you use the code Drink It Bros at GhostBed.com forward slash Drink It Bros. Recently, we just got the mattress topper, which I got to tell you, it's soft as soft gets really um we've got it on top of the ghost bed matrix uh and then we cover it with a mattress protector and with the ghost bed sheets what i'm saying to you is this it's a one-stop shop for all of your bedding needs for your entire bedroom suite ghostbed.com for slash drinking bros the beautiful thing about this is that if you get the adjustable base plus the mattress all the other accoutrement that you get, the pillows, the sheets, the pillowcases, the mattress topper, the mattress protector, the weighted blanket, all this stuff, 40% off with that bundle deal. For everything else, again, 30% off if you use the code DRINKINBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINBROS. If you use the zero down, 0% financing plan for up to 60 months, you're going to get your entire bedroom suite for somewhere between 25 and 40 bucks a month, depending on all the stuff you add to it. You're not going to get a better deal than that. And you can tell from the amount of time we've had these guys on the show, from the reviews, right, that you can read uh, at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros, from actual drinking bros, these are quality products. You're not going to get a better deal than this, folks. It's why we've had them for years. Go check it out, ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. This episode is also brought to you by Black Rifle coffee look these are my boys we've known these guys forever um used to work for the company but i've known the guys involved in it for a lot longer than the company's existed 
Join the Black Rifle Coffee Club and get fresh roasted freedom delivered straight to your door. It's the same convenience that we're always looking for, except for this time it's American-made by veterans. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran-owned and operated, supports America's military, law enforcement, and first responders. You're going to get premium coffee, the best possible cup, delivered every month at whatever uh, uh, time period you want. Seven days, 14 days, 21 days, 30 days, whatever you want. You choose your favorite roast. It's super simple. Go on to their coffee club page. Choose your favorite roast, the one that you know that you like the most. Uh, choose whatever style you want to deliver it in, whether it's coffee rounds for your Keurig or whole bean for you to grind or ground coffee if you don't have the opportunity to grind it yourself. And then the delivery schedule. And you're going to get that premium coffee, right? At the same time, every single month, members of the coffee club get free shipping. They also get access to all the exclusive partner discounts that we talk about on the show all the time. Get 20% off your first order by using the code CITIZEN. If you're not part of the Black Rifle Coffee Club, you need to be part of it right now. Go to blackriflecoffee.com and get that deal. So maybe, just maybe, there are going to be some hurdles that people have to go through, but we have to change our culture as far as what exactly is important to us. What exactly are we going to do as far as moving forward? Mm. And, you know, that's why I don't really... Even within the book, I don't really talk about the welfare state. I don't really talk about anything like that because, it, it, like you said, it's just it doesn't solve anything to talk about it. Um, to me, it solves nearly everything to talk about culture. Mm. You know, when we talk about, let's say, the Jim Crow South, the one thing that you can say about the Jim Crow South is that black families were intact and there was some economic growth mm -hmm. even segregation even during segregation well, that's where hbcus came from i mean like that that's, like that, none of right. that stuff would exist except for that need so exactly so while it it put them in a situation to have to do for themselves they were they were growing um even under that particular circumstance so i'm not mm -hmm. saying that we need segregation back but i'm just making the point that uh, <laughs> i'm definitely not saying that there yeah. are people who actually make that argument though um but what I'm saying is that a strong culture, a strong family unit allowed for them to excel under oppression, uh, or at least at the bare minimum survive mm -hmm. under oppression. They had to rely on each other. And I feel like right now what's happened is, you know, America just in general, we have more of a, a culture of individuality. Mm. Our families are separated. Um, and obviously black americans are in a similar in a similar light as far as being individuals but even more so the idea of family is i kind of feel like if i'm being very blunt i feel like a lot of black americans have accepted mediocrity when it comes to family um i had a conversation with my mom since writing writing this book and i asked her did you ever want to get married? And I already know her answer. Her answer was no. She said, I just wanted a boy and a girl, right? So I'm not injecting words into my mother's mouth. This was her mentality from the very beginning. She never wanted to get married. And that's not an abnormal viewpoint with, within certain black women. Her behavior was this way. You know, she discarded men. And there are deeper reasons 
as to you know why it hurt mm-hmm. specifically why she was like this but what she said to me is not abnormal i hear this you can go you can search all over the internet you can find the same attitude the same uh the same feeling as men are optional children i can still have i don't need a man you know the same rhetoric the same kind of feminist mentality mm-hmm. that exists that is ruining the culture it's making men weaker uh, men more feminized and it's masculinized black women they appear more aggressive right just an attitude more aggressive than you would say possibly other people right and these sound like tropes but i gotta say you know i've lived it i've been around it and it's something that is an uncomfortable kind of uh an uncomfortable pattern to kind of highlight you know even when i say there are a lot of black men who act weak i was one of them right and i had to recognize i'm acting weak in these in these particular ways i'm acting very feminine in certain situations well why is that well i grew up with my mom and my sister <laughs> you know i didn't have a father figure um for a long time i was uncomfortable in certain respects being around other men i didn't feel up to par as other men um and it's something that I had to work through to try to to try to get over. But if I'm struggling through this, how many other men are like this who are struggling through this? Sure. And and I, you know, so I'm just looking all around me, whether it's black men or any any other demographic. I'm just looking at it and I'm saying this is this is a crisis that very few are either talking about it or very few are willing to listen to. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's uncomfortable uh, to talk about for a lot of people because. Um, you know, it, it, it was the case for a long time that you could say pretty much anything reasonable and that would be fine. And now it's, you know, uh, censorship is, is here in in a way that it probably hasn't been in this country before. You, you could talk about McCarthyism, but you know, that was, uh, against uh communism which is in my opinion an evil ideology so i'm not sure if i would really count that now it got out of hand for sure but it wasn't just it it wasn't like now where basic you know medical science and masculinity are being challenged now it's it's like a this is this is a bit different i think and um to your point i'm seeing more and more of it out of the young male crowd as well uh and and amongst um the dudes that I was in the military with, it does seem like there aren't a whole, like, especially in the infantry, a lot of people didn't have good dads for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, that Maybe it's having that aggression and seeking that purpose that leads people to the military in that regard, yeah. but hard to say. And, you know, <clears throat> the other part about this conversation and this is one that I don't I don't really know the answer to I don't know what which came first but I know that and uh the average 21 year old male today in 2022 has 40 percent less testosterone than a 21 year old male in the year 2000 so I don't know I I wonder I, I know when you take like domesticated hogs and you put them back into the wild, they will start to regrow tusk. Their bottom uh, jaw juts out a little bit. Like they readjust back to their environment. I wonder if that isn't what's, if it's 
social influencing social uh, culture influencing our uh, our physiology or if it's the opposite you know what I mean like are we is our, are our bodies not producing as much testosterone now because of the social pressures associated with masculinity you know what I mean is it like are we adapting to be less manly because it's not necessarily the best thing to be a, a masculine dude these days or is everybody a pussy because hormones and food and microplastics are killing our testosterone? You know what I mean? It's hard to say which one comes first. I don't know the answer to that, but I know that we don't have another 20 years to let it regulate. Like it, this shit needs to get fixed pretty soon. Yeah. Last but certainly not least is better help. This is a company that we reached out to because we wanted to work with them. Um, you've seen a lot of the press lately, uh, Patty, from USC talking about men's mental health. Um, look, there's a couple of things you really need to remember. First, bad news doesn't get better with time. You know, sitting around and waiting for stuff to get better, it's just not going to work, man. And I'm telling you, no matter what kind of other treatment you might be doing, whether it's, you know, some of the new stuff, some of the old stuff, nothing is a replacement for talk therapy because that's what helps you identify the actual problem. It's how you find the smoke to find where the fire is, right? This is how you take care of your mind, right? We spend a lot of time talking about taking care of our bodies. What are we doing to take care of our mind? How well would you take care of your car if you had to keep it uh, the same one for the rest of your life? Well, that's the body and brain that you have, right? That's how your brain works. So why don't we treat them the same way? How can we care for our mind if we don't put the effort in, you know? So it's important to invest time. It's important to invest care and keeping both of these things healthy. There's plenty of ways to do this, to keep a healthy brain. There's your diet. There's surrounding yourself with the, by the, uh, with the right people. There's learning new languages for neuroplasticity and stuff like that. But there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. So BetterHelp is an online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions if you don't want to be seen or see other people. Right? It's telemedicine that is geared directly towards one of the most common medical problems that exists, which is your mental health. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. You don't have to go to an office. You don't have to take time out of your day to you know, drive 20, 30 minutes somewhere, uh, uh, take time off of work or take time off of taking care of kids or whatever it is. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. And... Unlike the traditional, like those of you who have dealt with the VA before, you know, you know what it's like. You go to, you go to one medical care provider at your VA and they send you somewhere else and it takes two to three months to get an appointment there. And if that person's not the right person for you, then it takes another month or two to get, I mean, listen, forget all that stuff. You can be matched with a therapist with better help in under 48 hours. That's the key. It's always about how quickly this shit can happen to save lives. So if you're out there and you're struggling, right, make use of this. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash citizen. That's betterhelp.com slash citizen. We're always talking about ways that we can help each other and what can we do to solve these problems. This is one of the solutions to those problems. Go out there and utilize the stuff that's available to you and get a better deal on it by using the code CITIZEN. BetterHelp.com slash CITIZEN. Part of me wants to go back to 
when women started entering the workforce uh, and the change in, I would say like the change in our economy, um, less manufacturing over a period of time, more service work, you know, and, and a lot of manufacturing jobs are very intensive, hard labor. Now we start turning into more office jobs, more white collar mm -hmm. positions, you know, less need to be strong in order to earn a living, um, more emphasis on intellect um, or politics, you know, within the within the workplace to get about. So I, I wonder if like all these things just kind of slowly over time just progressed mm -hmm. and and put men in a position where um, where being masculine isn't a isn't seen as a necessity to excel. Right. Um, and so there's no there's no emphasis on it. So there's no need for it to have for it to happen. Right. But then I, I, I do put some stake on the acceptance of feminism mm. and this and this constant need to readjust our viewpoints on how women are treated within our society. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think with any social movement, um, once it reaches its objective, it doesn't just stop, right? It just keeps going right. and the movement just keeps growing. Um, I've made the, the same kind of inference when it comes to um, the civil rights movement, which you could say is a net good as, as far as what happened, they had an objective, they accomplished it, but what do you do with that momentum? And then King dies and then other people step in, the Jesse sure. Jacksons, you know, so on and so forth. And you can say that they kept it going, but they kept it going as far as creating grievances. Sure. And, and, and instead of like, uh, okay, we're doing pretty good here. Who's the next group that needs help? Right. I mean, that's, that's, right. that's what a decent human being would do, but Jesse Jackson's not right. a decent human being. He's a piece of shit. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, I wonder if it's a very similar thing when it comes to um, the feminist movement where they reach their, I, I don't know if you want to say they reached their objection, uh, objective, but they made a significant amount of progress over a period of time. So then you have to ask yourself, okay, to what end? Like, where are you, where are you done? Mm -hmm. where, or where are you willing to acknowledge that there's, there has been progress? And for nearly every social movement that I've seen, they're unwilling to answer that question. Sure. They're they're just saying, um, yeah, but, and then they move on to the next thing. Well, there's a reason and, for that. And, it's because we have a modern example of an uh, an essentially in in Northern Europe, uh, the Swedes have essentially a completely egalitarian society. It it mm -hmm. is the most egalitarian society, particularly uh, gender based. Uh, in the world, probably in the history of uh, mankind. And uh, Jordan Peterson talks about this a lot in some of his work a couple of years ago. But what they found was uh, <clears throat> the more egalitarian the society there got, the more likely men were to do masculine jobs, right? And the more likely women were to do feminine jobs because mm -hmm. all things being equal – people are probably on average going to choose the most common thing for them. That that's, that's why that's just fucking math, man. You know what I mean? Like that, that shouldn't surprise anybody. Of course it works that way. Um, right. so, you know, even if that is some kind of, uh, you know, glacial 
uh, uh, social change that's happening and maybe, maybe it isn't nefarious or anything like that. Maybe it's just kind of the way it is. This is still something that people need to pay attention to, you know, like we don't have to go out and chop firewood and chase our food through the woods anymore, but it's not a bad idea to know how to do those things. Right. Because, you know, if, you know, shit goes sideways, you're going to need to. And you'll notice that what people do now is um, their hobby or their vacation very, very often is something that our ancestor 200 years ago had to do just to stay alive. Now we go do that thing for fun, right? Now, that's, yeah. there, there's nothing wrong with that. It's actually a really good idea. That, that is one of the things that have po- that's sprung forward from American culture that is uh, actually super beneficial. So when I think about stuff like that, I think it might be a good idea for us to consider masculinity as a skill, not necessarily just a thing, not, not a part of our identity, but as a skill that needs to be exercised, right? Like these are this aggression, uh, uh, from all the silly memes, the wolf that's in everybody, but it is the killer. It's like the, you know, the, the purpose of masculinity is to provide and protect. And sometimes protect means fucking somebody up. You know what I mean? So that like base preternatural urge to, be aggressive and violent. You have to learn how to control that shit. It's like being a superpower. It's like being an X-Men, X-Man and you don't know how to control your power so you're dangerous to everybody around you. This is how we have to think about these things. Masculinity is a skill. It is a skill that must be taught at the earliest possible level, not just to young boys, but young girls need to see what real masculinity looks like. The kind that provides and protects and not the kind that's predatory, for example, right? Like that, this, I I tell people this a lot, everything that a young boy learns about how to treat his mom or how to treat women, he's going to learn from how his dad treats his mom and everything a little girl learns from how she's supposed to be treated by men is by how her dad treats his fucking mom. You know what I mean? Or her mom. That's just how that works. And there, I, I don't know the the proper way to emulate that now in, in a single parent home. Like I have no idea what the solution to that is, um, but I know that there's a lot of other opportunities to affect that child's life. Uh, whether it's you know, coach, uh, being a mentor or a coach for sports, or uh, if you're if you're good at a particular, if you're good at math or science or something like that, go to the fucking whatever underserved community is around you, whether it's coal miners in West Virginia who are white kids or whether it's black kids in fucking South Central and help them. You know what I mean? Give them your time. There's nothing more valuable than your time. Give it, give that to them. Take the thing off that you can't ever replace. You can't ever get any of these minutes back and give them that time. It'll mean more to that kid than anything that the government will ever be able to do for them. You know what I mean? And you, you're a fucking an example of that shit. So tell me how it went. Who, who are the male mentors that eventually showed up in your life? You know, or did you, did they find you or did you go out seeking them or how'd that work? Uh, to be honest with you, not until I was an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, that's common actually. Yeah. I would say not until I was an adult where I started being around men more. Um, and, and, men to kind of look up to a little bit um but not i would even go as far as saying they weren't close enough to me where i absorbed it to you know to be honest with you um and like i said it was uncomfortable for me 
right? Because I always felt inadequate um, as far as being a man. And then uh, what compounded the, the situation was that I became a father at the age of 21. So now here <clears throat> I have to raise a young man while still trying to figure out what it means to be a man. Um, I call that being a, so, I call that being a player coach. That's what that is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a great, yeah, that's a great description. Um, and, and thankfully, you know, the, the only thing that came to my mind was just not to be my father, mm. you know? So uh, in some ways I just had like a blank slate as to what it meant to be a father. And I just became the father for my son that I thought I would have wanted when I was a kid. So I've always been attentive to him. I've always been, you know, re-examining, you know, myself and, and trying to improve and become a better father and change certain tactics. Um, but, you know, just being there, just being there is, is a lot and being an emotional support for him. Mm. Um, he's 16 now, you know, and he, he'll be 17 in a couple of months. Um, and he's preparing for adulthood. Like it'll, it'll be here before, before he knows it. So now it's, it's that stage of preparing him for the world. Um, and, and that's what I've been doing, especially when he became a teenager, just kind of getting him ready and, and trying to be that healthy male figure that he needs and, and that I didn't have when I was a kid. Sure. Um, and that's actually, to be honest with you, that was one of the reasons why I wrote my book. Um, I wanted to write something, write a book or leave something behind for my son as like a legacy. Um, and I thought, why not write a book? Um, but I couldn't think of any particular ideas. And then George Floyd and, you know, just talking to people and I just hit me one day. I was like, this, this is it, you know? So in, in dedication, I, I wrote, I wrote the book to my son um, and he actually read it. Uh, shortly after I published the book. Um, and that was, you know, a proud moment for me to, so he fully understood, because I talk a lot about my childhood and mm. he fully understood what it was like for me. And he told me how appreciative he is that I'm in his life and that he didn't have to go through what I went through. So, um, you know, I think we're going to veer into something else, but fatherhood is something that I, I don't think I don't think a lot of women understand what fatherhood means to men. Mm. I think we've also, there's another narrative about fatherhood that men can take their kids or leave them. Right. It's just whatever. Um, and man, if they knew the suicide rate for men from divorce who can't see their kids, the turmoil that men go through because they're, they're trying to see their children they're trying to be involved and they can't, I mean, this is one of those dangerous things about narratives. And, and once people start believing this, then they start acting differently. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously absurd. Um, yeah. Unless you're talking about an actual sociopath, that'll never be the case. It's not how, it's not how male human beings are wired genetically. You know what I mean? Like you, it used to be, we used to think, um, uh, Brett Weinstein told me this. It used to be that people thought, that the purpose of life was to, uh, uh, I guess, replicate your DNA, right? To breed. But it turns out um, what it really is is to make sure that your DNA lasts into, as long into the future as possible, not just have kids, 
but build a society, right? Or whatever. Right. And it happens. It's, it's obvious to look at where human civilization is now and, and, you know, draw that inference from, from our experience, but it happens in the animal kingdom as well, right? Like they, they try to set up, uh, I mean, it's, there's all these super complex social things going on, uh, at, at the, and look, these aren't like smart, these aren't intelligent creatures. They're fucking, you know, have brains the size of walnuts, but they have these very sophisticated hierarchies that are designed to protect the community from outsiders and shit like that. I mean, that's how it is. So I don't know. I never, whenever people try to blame just the social environment for something, I'm like, all right, cool. You've done half the work there, um, but not all of it. So, but you're doing the other part of the work, which is actually the effort part, right? So there's the identification of the problem and then there's the solving of it. Um, People ask me a lot, like, what can you, what can I do? I'm just one person to, you know, I'm not a parent. I don't know what I can do. Well, if you're a parent, there's a very obvious thing you can do, which is what you're doing. Just be there in the first place. But if you're not a parent, um, you know, there's still, I, I promise you that, especially if you're a man, there's plenty of, uh, young men, young boys out there that need help. And, you know, I, I don't know, I can't really speak to the current organizations that do that stuff. I don't know much about like a boys and girls club of America. That was a pretty good idea. Um, unfortunately it seems like it just kind of went the way of everything else where it's bureaucratic bloat and inefficiency and stuff like that. But, you know, this, that's the problem with infrastructure in general. Like you can only build a bridge so large and uh, the same is true for government. Um, the same is true for, uh, societies in general. In my opinion, I, I think there's a diminishing return on the scale on the scope of a society, but especially with government, um, none of, none of them can scale indefinitely without some form of, of authoritarianism, right? So that the, our, the founders of this country knew that. That's why they implemented federalism. That's why the Ninth and Tenth Amendments to the Constitution exist. Um, and I wonder why we don't... That's very simple logic. And I wonder why we don't apply that more in our day-to-day life as a solution, a solutionary mechanism, as my friend Maj Tori would like to say. Uh, I wonder why we don't apply that same theory that you solve problems at the lowest possible level because in the same way that dropping something on top will trickle down solving a problem at the bottom right solves all of this stuff on top of it you know if if you're um if your foundation is not good it doesn't really matter how much effort you spend building on top of it it's going to crumble at some point and it's why things like local politics are super important, you know, but also getting out, like getting, standing in the gap between people who need help and the government is a really good idea. Uh, as Reagan liked to say, the scariest words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help because you know, you're giving something up for their help. Yeah. But, you know, in American society, you don't have to give me anything for my help. Like that's, that, that is, if you, if you want to talk about all your rights, you know, your right to speak and bear arms and all this shit, you better be willing to man the fuck up when it's obligation time. And that's your obligation is you, you are damn sure your brother's keeper. 
in this country you are. You may, you may not be in other countries, but in this fucking country you better be because if you're not, I don't want to hear you talking about how great it is here. I don't want to I don't want to hear any of that bullshit. If you're not chipping in, what the fuck? That's like a bench player talking shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like wake up. Yeah. No, and you're right as far as um well, everything that you just said, but especially when you're talking about going local. Um I I feel like especially the past two, three years, I've become more and more libertarian, like, mm. uh, because I just see ineptitude within the federal government, regardless of party, um, and inefficiencies, and how things don't work, or they claim to be pushing something through that actually isn't what it says it is, uh, that's being created by some lobbyist that's out in DC, that's crafting, literally crafting their bills, and giving it to them and, and pushing it through. And and so like, um, to me, I'm thinking, well, these people are so far removed from any personal accountability, right? Imagine, imagine like a, a, lo a local mayor of some town was to try and do these particular things, right? Same type of thing. Uh, contracting lobbyists come in, want to build all these things. You think he'll just get away scot-free and right. no one would complain? Right. And and I feel like we've in many ways, especially in cities, um, they look to, towards the federal government for everything, even though there's such ineptitude within the city that they live in and they do nothing about it or vote for the same people hoping that or same type of people, I should say, mm. hoping that things will change. Yeah, it's the Gelman we, amnesia we effect. That it's there's a name for right. it. It's called the Gelman amnesia effect, and it's when you know for a fact an institution has no credibility, but you trust it anyways, right? <laughs> it it, it yeah. would be like opening the New York Times to the finance section, and they say something really stupid, like you should buy this or you should sell all of this, and you're like, that's dumb. Like nobody's gonna take that advice, and then you flip the page, and it's like it says something that you kind of agree with, and you're like, oh, that's fine now. Mm -hmm. Like, no, dude, that sucks. Like, that institution is not to be trusted. You can't fuck up that big. <laughs> but that's that's how it is, man. People, uh, and I, I wonder what part of it is desperation and what part of it is laziness, you know what I mean? Because it's, the, the more comfortable you get, the easier it is to let other people do stuff for you, even if it costs you something. And I don't mean money. I mean, like, yeah. even if it costs you part of your liberty. Well, we saw that in the past couple of years. Sure. Um, a, lot, a lot of people had relatively comfortable lives and they just said shut up and comply right all you got to do is just get the shot what's your problem what's the deal just do it right and and it, it, that's that's the type of i don't know man i don't know how we're going to get truly past that mm. where the, it i don't want to say half of americans but when a significant amount of americans look at the other side and think that they're monsters for not wanting to get an injection mm -hmm. and can't uh, can't comprehend why someone is hesitant right and i think there's a there's a problem with that and i think some of some of it comes from feeling comfortable in their situation they're comfortable with the decision to inject themselves why aren't you something is wrong with you um i don't know if we're veering too far off what we were originally talking about but i, I for whatever reason that made me think about that the level of comfort it, it takes for someone to become a tyrant towards others um, mm. is what, what I've been watching 
especially like the past couple of years when it came to COVID. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting and it's, uh, you know, ever evolving in group out group dynamics, which is, uh, to be honest, that's, that's something that is like a lot of the problems that happen in the United States are not necessarily unique to the United States, but this one, I would say the United States and Canada probably have this particular issue more than any other issue, which is to say, uh, the battle lines for lack of a better phrase are constantly being redrawn. Who's the friendly, Mm -hmm. who's the enemy. It's not about race for sure. Nobody fucking, I don't think anybody even cares about that shit anymore. Although it is used, it is weaponized quite a bit. It's not about straight gay. Nobody cares about that shit anymore. Um, But it is like, I, I think there's a, there's certainly a radical element to it, but it really comes down to, um, People that want to be left the fuck alone, you know, and people who have been who have been trained so well by the media to hate anybody that like look at look at what's happened over the past two years where the idea of individual medical liberty has now been cast as selfish. Are you like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) <laughs> we're, we're, we're in the, we're in the middle of uh, a decades long debate over body autonomy. And that's your position that that's completely diametrically opposed to everything you've been saying for decades. And now this is what you said. So I don't think that it's, I don't think that people are necessarily uh, brainwashed or anything, but they, they are fucking stupid. You know what I mean? Like it, you, you have to be more critical of yourself than you are of anybody else. You should, yeah. you, cause that, that is your foundation, your, your knowledge base, what you believe. And then the beliefs that are stacked on top of those beliefs and on and on, that's how you see the world. And if that's, that shit's fucked up, then you're fucked up. You're going to believe dumb shit all the time, man. And, uh, now you're not, a, you're not a contributor to society. You're just another fucking voice. You know, you're a net negative for society. If that's how you, if you, if everything, if you're a liberal and everything, you know, about conservatives you learned from fucking MSNBC, then you are failing as an American. And the same is true if you're a conservative and you, everything you know about liberals comes from Fox News. You are failing yourself. You're failing your country. You can't do this shit. You got to get up close with people. Like you're talking about the time and effort that you put into your child and how what that's meant to you and him. It's the same thing with any relationship. And you are an ambassador every single day for the ideals that you represent. And for me, it's liberty, right? It's American liberty. That's what I care about. And I consider every day an opportunity to uh, uh, proselytize people, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. Show them a little bit of fucking uh, liberty. You know what I mean? It's, you can't, it's hard to unring that bell. When you felt like you've been oppressed and then somebody fucking frees you up, it's, it's hard to unring that bell. And we don't do enough of that. Instead, when somebody does say, hey, you know what? We probably shouldn't have mandated all that stuff. You're like, see, I fucking told you. Like, no, that's the wrong answer. The, the right answer is, yeah, you're right. Welcome aboard, right? Like, this is a team-building exercise, and we are fucking failing at it right now. Yeah. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to add a little bit to it because mm. you were saying, you know, different sides. Um. I think there's definitely a class element that's at hand. Oh yeah. Um, and, and and I, I, I try not to use the word too often, but almost in some ways like a class warfare mm. that we're seeing, you know, the, the anti-racism movement, uh, you know, the, even the LGBT movement, 
um, even the battle within schools, as far as you know, pushing certain ideologies, leftist ideologies. Um, I, I can't ignore. There's a class element to it. Um, you know, I talk to people all over the country who are experiencing uh, all different types of issues when, when it comes to you know trying to stick up for their their community and and fight back against certain leftist ideologies that they feel is harming the children. And one thing that becomes very clear, the higher in the economic ladder of a particular town, the more likely it is there and it's entrenched. Hmm. And I think to myself, well, why is that the case? You know, why is it that a poor neighborhood that has so-so teachers doesn't really have all this stuff but it seems like the you know the, the upper middle class or elite schools are just entrenched in this and it's because well more likely these teachers are coming from elite institutions elite colleges and it's feeding off into there these are the children of the wealthy who are also wanting you to take your tax dollars and bail them out uh for for their college loans as well which is a bailout for the elite as well so i i can't ignore an element of class when we talk about the media. Um, uh, Batya uh, Sargan Ongar, she wrote, um, I think I just butchered her name, but Batya. Um, <laughs> uh, you were close. You were close. Um, wrote, you got all the words I, right. They I, were just in the wrong order. But Batya is her first name. I yeah. was in the wrong order. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, Batya. <laughs> uh, she's going to kill me. Um, but she, you know, she wrote a book mm-hmm. talking about why is the why is the media the way it is? It's because they're basically, basically, generally speaking, elite, mm-hmm. in, and they have an elitist mentality. You know, I've asked the question: Why does it feel like the media hates us? Right? Why does it sound like they're talking down at us when it comes to certain things? There's like zero understanding, and and, and an apolitical understanding as far as why certain people would feel a particular way. Um, I was just writing an article for the New York Post, and it's kind of in response to a New York Times article where they're they're talking about the American dream, right? And they're talking to Hispanic Americans. Some of them are immigrants, and they're saying exactly why they believe in the American dream. They came here from another country. They worked really hard. They excelled. And this is why I believe in the American dream. And what do they say? Well, it's a dog whistle. <laughs> you know, it's it's because they want to exclude people. And I'm like, they're not even listening to you. They're like there is no good faith when it comes to the media and the very people like used to before I could say, well, they're just not talking to the people, mm. but they're literally writing verbatim what these people are telling. And they're they're just like, Yeah, well, let's go to this associate professor. What do you have to say? Well, it's dog whistles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, (laughs) you know, they they just do not care. Well, that's why they're Um, like the the Democratic Party has been hemorrhaging uh, Latino people for about 10 years. And this year is going to be the biggest hemorrhage of all, I think. Uh, Yeah, yeah. they've completely fucked that up. Like, nobody wants to be talked down to. And you can feel it. I mean, certainly there's I I would. there's definitely class warfare going on. Uh, I think it just happens to be between the ruling class and everyone else. You know what I mean? Like every, every now and again, every now and again, they'll have somebody who's a patron, uh, uh, who, who's under their patronage that'll rise through the ranks and get into that, uh, society or into that world. But these micro wars in, in culture, that's all a distraction. 
that's all divide and conquer bullshit. Like they want black and white people yeah. to be mad at each other. So they're not looking into what, you know, the IRS is up to stealing your shit. Um, you know, and it sells, it sells tickets. You know what I mean? If this, if, if life was a movie, that shit sells tickets. There's got to be conflict somewhere and it's either going to be between the people and the aristocracy. And, and that conflict looks like this. The people are constantly holding the aristocracy down so they don't become too powerful because that's how federalism is meant to work. Or mm -hmm. it's you and me arguing while they fleece both of us. You know what I mean? That's really what it is. Um, and that's why you should be highly suspicious. It's one of the principles here. Uh, I would re reject divisiveness in all its form because that's exactly what that is. That is magician's patter. It is, it is just some rich assholes trying to keep you riled up so they can steal your shit. That's all that is, right? And, yeah. and unfortunately, this time, it's not just money they're stealing, but it's liberty as well. And, you know, it can't take another step in that direction because, you know, we're getting pretty close to fucked here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think also they're, they like the divisiveness. Like you said, it, it isn't one big distraction. Um, it works to some degree, but even more so, they're, they're not even using it as a distraction so much, especially when it comes to the culture war stuff, but they're using it as, they're basically weaponizing it mm. to leverage something that they actually want. Um, I, it makes me, I always think about, well, that's why, that's why like every fucking week there, every week, every fucking week, there's an article that says something like this climate change affects black Americans worse. Right. So now climate, so now climate change is a racial issue. Like, Oh my God, are you fucking kidding me? Last week, I believe it was, uh, it was either a new, uh, a Washington post or New York times ran an article blaming obesity on climate change. Like, shut the fuck up. How about corn syrup, motherfucker? You know what I mean? Uh, actually, I just saw, and I might be messing this up, but I just saw an article someone put up, uh, sis basically systemic racism and car crashes. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it is, right? So if you, you, yeah. you, you do multivariate testing, this is a marketing uh, apparatus, uh, a very well-functioning one. You do multivariate testing, you see where, people, where people's interests you know, happen and you try to associate your goal with that interest. It's called uh, uh, affinity based marketing. That's what it's called. Mm -hmm. So it's like you like you're you're a football fan uh, and you like beer. I'm going to fucking advertise my beer on the football program that you watch. Right. That's good advertising. It makes sense. Except for this right. time. Again, what they're advertising is division. And mm -hmm. man, I'm not into it. I, I just I hang I I hang out around actual people. You know what I mean? And we don't feel that way. Yes. Like we don't feel that way. It's just not true. All the shit that, that the, the media is talking about every single day. It's just not true. Like normal people are not fucking having these experiences. There aren't, there aren't fucking hillbilly white supremacists going through middle-class black neighborhoods, spray painting shit. It's just not fucking happening, man. Because uh, the hillbillies can't figure out how to get GPS to work. Probably. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> that, that shit, it's just not real. You know what I mean? And I, I agree with you. It's certainly weaponized and it is. Um, but that's, that's kind of how the process works. You take the bit, 
that sticks. Because look, you don't. There's two things you do not want to be: a rapist or a racist. Like those are the two things that will get you. What what people call it canceled now, but like excluded from society. Those two things are pretty unforgivable, right? Uh, and, yeah. and with good reason too. Like I'm not I'm not disputing that part, but when the the concept of masculinity itself is on trial because some men like a very small portion of men have been dicks in the past that th- this is not this is not reality this is literally throwing the baby out with the bathwater here it doesn't make any fucking sense and well it does make sense when you understand what the goal is which is to keep people distracted sure. to keep them angry at each other uh and, and to provide these vehicles these social uh, class, culture, war, vehicles, whatever you want to call it, to get their agenda pushed through, whatever it happens to be. That's really what it is. You know, it, and it's interesting because you were saying, you know, normal Americans don't talk like this, don't interact like this, like they don't have this particular problem. And and actually, I started realizing that this rhetoric, as far as like the anti-racist rhetoric, where mm. they say, you know, white people are like this and that, I honestly in some ways maybe not all of them i think some of some of the let's say the the black people who are leftists are kind of ideologues but i think and not even just black people actually let me correct that anybody who's a leftist mm. so uh, an upper class leftist um kind of ideologue i think they're giving us a window into their their actual reality because i think for them they're around people who look down upon people mm. people who are maybe tend to be a little bit more racist because they're kind of hateful people, Mm -hmm. you know? And this is not to say like all wealthy people are are this way, but there is a, there is a certain character trait uh, that allows for people to become extremely successful. Mm -hmm. You become kind of an elitist Mm -hmm. in some ways. Um, And I wonder if that, that point sticks for certain people because they're of the upper class and they kind of see themselves as above everybody else. And they look at each other in a very uh, crude and critical way. That's not very politi- uh, politically correct or nice or uh, hateful, whatever you want to call it. But you can't say it uh, out so loud. Sometimes right? I wonder. Like if you're one of those people, you can't say that shit out loud. So you just project it onto others. Yeah. Uh, James Lindsay likes to call it the iron law of woke projection which is to say anything yeah. you hear a woke person accusing people of, they are definitely up to, right? Uh, exactly. Gr- grooming children, for example, like is the number one on my list right now. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you're 100% correct about that. Yeah. So like, that's why I, whenever I try to write an article, I try to talk about the average American, mm. uh, the working class American, because I think we're getting stuck in this wealthy elitist leftist bubble that maybe they are experiencing, but you know what? Those people are weirdos. <laughs> like they're not, they're not like, that's your own demographic. That's your own shit that you're projecting on the rest of us. Mm. And the rest of us, we got bigger fish to fry. We got real problems, you know, like uh, I, I can't remember the lady's name who she was talking about, um, uh, she's with the federal government. She's talking about getting solar panels and how, oh, yeah. the, you know, it'll be less, it'll cost less. And I'm like, this woman doesn't understand that so many people live check to check who rent, mm. they don't own a house. 
you know, go out and just buy a hybrid. Okay, yeah. <laughs> let's buy a brand new hybrid as we're struggling to pay our bills and we're trying to do better in an economy that's failing us. Like th these are people who are disconnected from, uh, from the reality of what the average American has to go through. And and I don't think they, they fully understand that and nor are they willing to accept that or, or even care about looking at that for them. It's just, well, why wouldn't you just get a hybrid, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's it. Just go go, go get a hybrid. Go get a Tesla. It's no problem. You know, it's that kind of mentality that exists. And these are the people who create our narratives. Um, and and that's, that's ultimately, like, what led for me to just finally say, I'm going to sit here and write this book. I'm going to start speaking out. Because I got tired of people speaking for me. I got tired of people speaking for me because I am a black male. Mm. I got tired of people creating all these narratives for me because of one man who was died in an unfortunate who has died in an unfortunate manner in Minnesota that I've never met and, and would have never met. And why is this the case? And it's because not enough people are, are pushing back. Not enough people within the media uh, are willing to give a counterpoint. And I've written an article about this. The, the black people who do give a counterpoint to this are easily maligned. They're called Uncle Toms and Coons, mm. and, and you, you know it, because they do not agree with this narrative. And that, to me, is a problem. And not enough people are willing to even talk about that particular dynamic, how it's perfectly fine to be racist towards a black Republican or a black conservative. And now, now that the demographics are starting to shift as far as Hispanics towards uh, becoming more conservative or joining the Republican Party. Now they're starting to get the same type of treatment um, as far as being called out, you know, not really Hispanic yeah. and, and, and all these different things. So I, I think. Well, Jill Biden compared Mexican people to tacos, which seems racist. I don't know. Um, but who knows? She's a doctor. I mean, I, I I made up something uh, not too long ago called uh, "Ain't Blackistan" yeah. uh, for for us as refugees yeah. who aren't black because we didn't vote for Joe Biden, um, and and <laughs> you know, but that's that's our reality. That's our political reality. Um, if you do not comply as a as a black American mm. to a particular narrative then you aren't really black. Sure. You're, you're not politically black. Um, and this is these are narratives that are created, especially they're uh, perpetuated by the black elite, by the mm. black wealthy. And, and to me, they're as much as a problem as anybody else. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's, you know, it's a symptom of something pretty sinister in my opinion i mean american public education has been like this for a while where the purpose isn't to spit out the best and brightest most talented and prepared for life people it's to produce compliant workers you know what i mean like mm -hmm. think about what it means to be a quote-unquote good student when you're in middle school it's not that you're asking a lot of questions in class because you're going to irritate the fuck out of your teacher doing that, right? It's not that you're engaged in the process even. It's that you show up on time, you stay quiet, and you do all your work, right? That 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 is in the measure of success in primary education in America. Well, that's the wrong answer, Brad. I mean, you, you really got to... 
this is the point where kids under like come to understand the dynamic between mentor and mentee, right? Between elder and, 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 uh, tribesmen. And if you want that kid to be the best possible, whatever it is they're going to be, and to have a good relationship with the right kind of authority, it starts then, but we don't do that. I mean, to be honest, even if you are really like yourself, an active and engaged parent and your child goes to a certain public schools and it's not just ones in blue states either. Uh, uh, that's a battle. That's a whole, that's a completely separate battle because the kid's going to come home with this idea of what it is to be a leader, what it is to be a mentor, what it is to be, uh, 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 you know, an adult, uh, an authority figure that can be respected. And they get that yeah. from, from, from these people. And man, it's just not reality. It's just, that's not how any of it works. So you have to undo the shit. You have to send your kid right to school for fucking 18 years, 12 years, whatever it is. And then, you know, spend the, the evenings and weekends deprogramming them at this point. So then the kid gets out into the world. And like you said, mandated compliance, man, we saw it in policing. We saw it. We were still seeing it in the military. We saw it throughout all, all through corporate culture. And then we saw it through, uh, the, uh, through social as well. I don't mean social media, but like our social culture in general, like you're saying, Mm -hmm. somebody has the temerity to stand up and say, Hey, this doesn't make sense. You're a racist. You're a denier. You're whatever the fuck. It's like, no, man, just trying to figure out what's going on here. It didn't make sense. And I wanted somebody to explain it to me. But to be honest, when I stood up and asked for somebody to explain it to me and everybody started screaming at me, that was my first sign that you were all full of shit. Because that's not how you answer a legitimate <laughs> question. You know what I mean? Like if you if you if you ask a question, and it's in good faith, and uh, the person you ask it to shuts you down or shouts you down or whatever it is, then you know you're on the right track. That is almost always the case. So, you know, it, we're in a situation now where, like, if if when this stuff started, enough people just said no, it never would have happened in the first place. And now we're in a position where just saying no is not going to work anymore because there's infrastructure behind the yes. There's infrastructure behind the idea of mandates and, and force compliance and stuff like this. And now you're going to have to fight your way out. I don't mean physically fight your way out of it, but I mean, you're going to, there's going to be some, it's going to be painful now where it could have been, it could have been painful in the way that waking up at 6 a.m. to work out is painful, but now it's going to be painful in the way of like heart disease. You know what I mean? Like we're in the downstream portion at this point. So it, it's it's really incumbent, and I, this is why I do this show. It's incumbent upon people to stop letting your problems be other people's problems. Stop relying on anybody else, you know, other than your community to help you do stuff. that's why civilizations exist, why the small community exists. It takes a tribe, right, to raise a kid. That's what they say. Um, It didn't say 330 million people, though, right? Like, not everybody gets to get input. It's the people that have shared values with you. You have to take this stuff back. You have to take an active role in the running of your government. Now, not everybody's going to be able to do that at the federal level or even the state level, but in your community you can. You don't have to run for office, but you should damn sure know who your sheriff is. You should know who your mayor is. Right, you should know who your uh, uh, city and state representatives are and stuff like that, and that's just the political side. That's not including all the other ways that you personally can benefit your community. Like, for example, 
instead of buying something on Amazon, uh, drive your ass somewhere and buy it from a local store. That's a, that's a big thing that people can do. Um, anyways, I'm getting off on a tangent here. Uh, the one resource, if you want to call it that, or the one, I, I like to think of Liberty as, as a muscle that needs exercise. You know what I mean? Um, like mm-hmm. the more you use it, the better you are at using it. Uh, we have to organize ourselves under the umbrella of Liberty which is the most basic human right and accept the responsibilities required of us to ensure liberty, not just for us and not just for now, but for every motherfucker and forever, right? Cause liberty only exists if it, if, if it exists for everybody. Otherwise it's just another form of authoritarianism. And right. this is, it's why I do the show. People have got to fucking get involved in whatever way, you know, you can. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I think that I think we take it we we take for granted what we have right now, and and we hope that it it will stay the same. And we don't have to do anything about it. At minimum, I think people should speak up when they see something that is immoral and something that violates other people, that takes advantage of other people. That is why it's important for us to talk about the protection of children. That's why we should be critical of these particular things. We should be critical of these particular ideologies. Uh, you had mentioned before, you know, when initially when people stood up and they started calling them racist, for me, it's to the point where it's the boy who cried wolf and that doesn't work anymore. And more people are waking up and, and actually becoming brave enough to say something about it. You know, I, like when I wrote my book, I, I wrote it, no, like four people knew I was writing this book. Mm. I didn't have a public profile, but I did it for myself. Um, you know, I did it for my son and I did it to hopefully see if anybody wanted to, wanted to hear what I had to say. Mm. Um, and you never know the impact that you, you'll make by even doing so. Um, and, and who you might touch and who you might who you might change and, and embolden to actually do the right thing. Um, but I've met, I've met so many incredible people who are just one person who I know they've touched a, a whole bunch of people and have come together. You know, I think of um, uh, Billboard Chris. Mm. I recently met him in Tampa for an event for Moms for Liberty. They invited me down there. Moms for Liberty, it was just two moms came together and in about a year or so, they created this organization with over 100,000 members, right? So you had two people who were able to galvanize 100,000 people and enough so to invite me to come and meet Billboard Chris, who is a man who's been traveling all over the United States and Canada, pushing out this message, starting off by himself and now getting people to see what he's trying to do, now highlighting uh, the children's hospitals that are performing surgeries or providing puberty blockers to minors, right? This is just one guy from Canada, just just a guy. I've met him. He's he's a, a incredible guy, very nice guy, uh, very welcoming. But he's just one guy, mm. and he's been able to have such an impact. I'm just one guy, and I'm and I'm trying to do everything I can to have some sort of impact within a multitude of conversations. And so, 
if we're just two people who are just doing something in this particular climate and we don't have to fight we don't have to physically hurt anybody we don't have to physically defend ourselves we're not at that point why not right what are you worried about for me i, I think for me because i've had nothing i've been homeless right and i've built myself up uh if i was to lose my job because of what i'm doing i believe in myself enough that i'll find another job mm -hmm. Right. It is it is far more I, I I came to a point where it was worth the risk versus living with myself and not saying anything. That's the point where it kind of came for me. Um, you know, it, this wasn't about making money. This wasn't about anything like that. You know, people like to throw around the word grifter. For me, there was there's far more principle behind this. It was about expressing myself adding to the narrative. And now I've come to the point where I'm trying to encourage people to do the same thing that I did. Um, that's what I'm trying to do with wrong speak mm. with wrong speak. I'm providing an avenue for people to write articles, to express themselves. Um, my editor, Audra, when I first met her, she was just an avatar and a random name. Now she uses her full name. She uses her picture. She she's proud to express her points. She's proud to, um, to speak and be out there. She's not afraid, right? And and so many other people that I've met and that I've been able to impact to do the same. I'm always telling people like, stop being anonymous. Just just be be yourself. Put yourself out there because that's how these people win. Because mm. you're scared. And for me, you know, I've been doing this for about a year. I use my name. I use my face. I don't hide. I don't hide myself. I'm, it's not a pseudonym because I'm not scared. I, I'm like I'm not worried about these people. And that is the most dangerous person for them. They're so used to everybody cowering to them and saying, oh, please don't call me a bad name. At this point, call me an Uncle Tom, call me a coon, call me a racist, like I, call me a bigot. I really don't care because I know who I am, Yeah. right? So I think more people should have that particular attitude. And, and I know sometimes it's hard to come by, but that's what you have to do right now before it's too late. Sure. I mean, it's easier when, uh, you know, someone's leading the charge right um yeah it's just the more people that do the right thing the more people who will be inspired to do the right thing um and the easier it will get for everyone i appreciate you coming today it's been a very interesting conversation is there anything else you would like to share with the audience before you get out of here and also uh, include in that where to find you and where to find your book and stuff yeah, um, I'm, I'm really active on Twitter these days. So you can follow me at wrong underscore speak. Um, definitely go to wrongspeak.net uh, to read the articles. Um, not so much for myself these days because it's more of a platform for other people. Um, you know, my I have a, a set of writers that write for me now um, that, I, that I've paid for to write, you know, so I can help people uh, to have some sort of financial benefit and encouragement to to express themselves as well, um, and and I'm trying to I'm trying to just promote that. I'm mm -hmm. trying to get into the avenue as far as publishing books for other people, not just for myself. And at some point, I'll get to my second book, uh, which I kind of started and I stopped because I got too busy. But um, yeah, yeah, definitely go to wrongspeak.net and and you can find out everything about me. Cool. Thanks, man. We appreciate you coming today. Um, I always enjoy these conversations. Uh, and it's nice 
to run into more people that are out there trying to improve life for others, not just themselves. Um, we're in this pat yourself on the back and take a fucking mental health day culture these days. Uh, it's nice to see somebody, some, somebody actually doing some fucking work. Um, again, thanks for coming. Um, appreciate your time. And, uh, thank you all for listening. This has been citizen. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.